1: Just like
2: that, the final hour is here. Outkick 360. Glad you're with us as we lead you into great hoops tonight. Sweet 16 will be underway about an hour and a half. And then, of course, we move into tomorrow's matchups on the road to the Elite Eight and then the Final Four in Houston. Hutton and Withrow here. Sixth and Peabody, our location with e Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, Chad, it's happened again. A, a transgender athlete has won an award. And... Quite frankly, easily. Uh, Tiffany Thomas is her name. She is uh, competing now at the age of 45 or 46, started competing at the age of 40 against women, and she's winning cycling events, most recently this past weekend in New York. And yeah, she took the podium and won her award, and she's all of a sudden elite at what would be a, a, a difficult feat to overcome when she's competing against like 26 to 34 year olds at the in her mid 40s and winning cycling events against those that have been training for far longer getting word right now actually that she's actually
0: the front runner for usa today's woman of the year next year probably it's going to be a, a three-peat now yeah. of transgender <laughs> women winning woman of the year with USA Today. So uh, congratulations, Tiffany, front runner for 2023 USA Today
2: woman of the year. Plenty of critics. uh, And one of the critics says, uh, total beginner to elite level is how they would describe her cycling expertise from when she started around the age of 40 years old to where she is now at 46. And last year in an interview, she said that the promoters of these races, they have the obligation. They need to have the obligation to punish those that come with aggressive responses to her winning races. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, and you know, meanwhile, what's overlooked are those that would be competing for the top spot instead of, you know, second or third place or not even on the podium. Because of what's going on,
0: what would constitute an aggressive response to her winning I mean, I cert- the event from I someone that would say, "Now you you must punish this individual." I, I certainly for don't want
2: anything physical, but the aggressive can be just in in tone and just simply saying biologically, it's a man competing against a woman, and it shouldn't happen, and it continues to happen in a in a sport where a single winner individual sport. And we're seeing the podium again taken by Tiffany Thomas here. It's ridiculous. It won't be the last of of Tiffany winning.
0: It's ridiculous. And for anyone who points to, well, it never happens. Well, here's an example of it happening. Again, hopefully it happens fewer and fewer times. But my guess is Hutton, you're right, and it will not. And we'll continue to have stories like this.
2: Chad, give credit to Spencer Rattler because we have seen the opposite happen in some regard to Jalen Hurts, not by his own admission, just fan bases, claiming certain quarterbacks based on where they were. Alabama, right? And then you've got Oklahoma. Well, Rattler from Oklahoma, now South Carolina, says, whenever I'm in the league, whenever I'm in the NFL, I don't want to be known as Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler. Um, Maybe they won't reference Rattler the same way that Alabama would like to reference Jalen Hurts, of course. But I... I appreciate that because I do think in in today's age we we get into like jersey swap and every no one really hates anybody. There's no real individual rivalry. There are, but not nearly what we used to see 10 to 20 years ago, right? And certainly before that. This would be something that, you know, with the transfer portal with, you know, one and done's whatever it might be, you're claiming all these different logos and school colors and, you know, school pride. I give Rattler props going into spring practice saying, yeah, I want to be known as South Carolina's quarterback, and that's it. If and when I get a chance to play in the NFL.
0: I love it, too. I think we can also apply common sense to these arguments and debates. give you an example. Jalen Hurts. Alabama can no longer claim Jalen Hurts, even though he was at Alabama longer than Oklahoma.
2: And took them to a championship game, but didn't finish.
0: Because... You you and it was not the wrong decision. I'm not arguing right, that, but you right. took his job from him and gave it to a younger player and then he left to go play somewhere else and he starred at that place too. I think Jalen Hurts would tell you he's Oklahoma quarterback, Jalen Hurts, right? On the flip side of this. And that's the way it should be. If a player is a grad transfer, if they play four years at one school and they, you know, move up in basketball or football and play one year somewhere else. I think odds are they are what they were for four years in most cases. If it's a voluntary, hey, I want to go to grad school, I want to play one year at a bigger program or a different program, then you can do that. Outside of that, it's just the basic math. Where were you longer than the other place? Alvin Kamara was at Tennessee longer than Alabama. He finished at Tennessee. He is not known as Alabama running back Alvin Kamara, He's known as Tennessee running back Alvin Kamara. But there are you, other
2: examples like this too. But if you're in a re, on a recruiting visit and you have all of the, the NFL players on a wall, Jalen Hurts is is going to be on there. Well, he shouldn't be. And Kamara's on there too because the players that they're recruiting are going to recognize them.
0: I doubt they put Kamara on there because I'm pretty sure he was kicked off the team uh, after a year. Well, I don't know. I mean, but I mean they could, uh, well they could they'd be dumb to do it. It would be wrong, but they could if they wanted to. They can do whatever you want to try to impress a recruit. Um, You know, Cam Newton went to Florida and got kicked off the team. No one thinks about Cam Newton, Florida Gators quarterback, because that's where he started. No, they think Cam Newton, Auburn Tiger, because he played there longer and led them to a national championship. So I just – it's almost like the obscenity law. You know it when you see it. Name a player, and I'll tell you what school comes to mind first. And now if I hear Spencer Rattler, it's always going to be South Carolina. That's where he's had his most success. That's where he will have his most success individually is it South Carolina. So I think it's pretty easy. I think we make it more difficult than we should at times about identifying a player and what school they're associated with.
2: Chad, uh, the world baseball classic produced the best ratings we've ever seen for the, the championship game for any WBC game, uh, record TV viewership, 5.2 million viewers watched Japan's three, two victory over the United States. And that great finish between Otani and trout. Um, But it comes back to this. Will this help as we go into baseball season? Or does it just fall to the wayside like typically Major League Baseball allows great players and great moments to do?
0: It helps early when the season starts because it's so fresh on the minds of of sports fans that this just happened. And it's up 67% from the last one. So it's up significantly the rating for it. So I do think they'll get a boost early in the season. Hudden, when we get to June and July, we're in the dog days of summer. I don't think it adds any benefit to this season of Major League Baseball. What's going to add benefit to this season of Major League Baseball are, are rules changes, helping the game go move faster, are teams that can't spend money somehow miraculously being in the hunt late into the season with teams that spend a ton of money, which probably also won't happen those are the things that'll make major league baseball more exciting and get more people out to the park and more eyeballs on it on television. So I think it helps early. I don't think it helps ultimately.
2: Chad, I I saw one piece of feedback on the, uh, the time the game time, and there was one critic. They went to a game and it was over in like in spring training. I'm saying it was over in like two hours and 30 minutes or something. And the, the, one fan tweeted to the league and said, Hey, you know, I'm paying top dollar. I'm oh paying for gosh. parking. I've got this, this, this. I need to be able to spend, you know, an average NFL game at a baseball stadium instead of it getting over so fast with all the, you know, the changes to the timing of things. I don't want it to be so drastic that it's over in two and a half hours, but it certainly doesn't need to be some of these matchups where we see them go three and a half to four, right? And the sweet spot for the league, for the NFL, is three hours and seven minutes. That's their goal. Now, sometimes they're plus or minus two minutes, three minutes on season to season. But the goal is three hours, seven minutes. And Major League Baseball can get there. They're doing it now. But I hope they don't do it at the detriment of, you know what, Just let's just get this over with and get out for the sake of TV. Because there is, you know, you want to go to the ballpark now. It's not... It's not something you're going to do but once or twice a summer if you're the casual fan that lives outside of the market, right? I think that's what the, the, the father here was saying in the tweet to the game.
0: Well, look, I, I certainly don't want the game to be negatively impacted, just the play of the game because of these rules, okay? I don't want it to be something that's bad for the game of baseball, but this person who's complaining is an idiot, and here's why. Um, yes, you may only go to a few games a year, and you, if you want it to be four hours, great to you know, have the experience that way. It's simple math. The NBA plays 82 games. Their games aren't three hours long because they play 82 of them. Now, double that. You've got 162 baseball games over the course of the year. You don't need these games to go three and a half, four hours. Three hours is a lot if you're playing that many games over the course of a year. I also understand people don't watch every Major League Baseball game start to finish. There are some who do on television, but it is better in a TV window. And overall, that will only up the experience for the fans. So... 162 is far different from 17. Yes. If someone's going to complain about my NFL games on Sundays are three hours and this is two and a half, well, they play 17 of them. That's April in baseball, and they play until October. Huge difference in the time allotment for each sport in the game and the season, and that's why I think the times of the games should be different. I'm totally fine with two hours and 15 minutes to two and a half hours. It won't ever get to that point. And I'm fine with that too, but to say that I want my games three hours plus every time, that's that's a bridge too far for me.
2: Yeah, and it, it, I think the he was just saying it was such a drastic difference because they're trying out all these rules. Again, it, they, they there will be a sweet spot they're gonna find. They're gonna, actually gonna add things to it um, to get it back to where the players feel comfortable based on suggestions. Look,
0: again, I don't want it to negatively impact game play in terms of players yeah. feeling like they can play at the best level and that it doesn't negatively impact the quality of play. I don't think these rules will, and if it shaves 15 to 25 minutes off a game, great. I think that's a good thing for baseball.
2: John Morant returned for the Grizzlies back from the suspension, back from uh, the therapy that he went and and sought in Florida, back from his meeting with the league up in New York uh, with Adam Silver, and his father was back sitting courtside with a shirt that said Redemption written on it. But he also, in a chat with uh, the athletics uh, writer who was on site, said that he blamed himself for Jaw's recent turn over the last, what, month, two months, with all the storylines that have been off the court involving Ja Morant. The quote from T. Morant, his father, last few weeks were rough. Rough, reading bad things about my son and people judging him of the, the things that he really doesn't believe in. It's so crazy that people love to throw the stone but wouldn't want the stone thrown at their kid. I feel totally responsible. Jaws got to show, he's going to show the world who he is, and I'm excited about that. I blame myself. I blame myself because that's my son. When I say I will die for my kids, I will die for my kids. Anything my kid does, I'm going to blame myself. That from T. Morant. And we said this earlier this week. This is now on Ja Morant moving forward. T. Morant can take the blame. The crew that allegedly pointed a laser that had a a sight that they couldn't prove an actual gun was used for that on the laser pointer uh, against the Pacers. Okay. He's met with the commissioner. Eight game suspension light considering what was going on in Denver. The Grizzlies have changed their road policy now where they're not going to stay over at a popular destination in the party cities. They're gonna get out of there sooner in order to alleviate some of the things that we're seeing with John ja Morant. Now it's on Ja Morant. So T, his father can say whatever he wants to here. From last night on, it's on one of the best players in the league to not ruin his career by things that are going on off the court, period. It's
0: noble that T. Morant says that he would die for his son. I would argue that most parents alive would die for their children if given the opportunity for them to live. Um, I don't think it's the wisest course of action to state that anything my son does is my fault. Um, that is not teaching the accountability that John Morant needs right now in his life. I, I screw up all the time. I did when I was young. Do now People screw up all the time. You know what I don't do? I don't call Tom and Debbie Withrow and say, I blame you guys for this screw-up that I just made. It's your fault because you're my parents. No, it's my fault. My parents did the best they could. I'm an adult. John Morant is an adult. This is not on his dad. I don't think his dad helps. I think these comments, quite frankly, come across as pretty dumb, and it probably shows why he's not the best influence on him at times. But this is on John Morant. It's 100% on him to change. And if that means separating himself at times from his dad or some members of his crew that he hangs out with, he's going to have to do that if that's what it's going to take for him to have a successful career and a successful life, because he is one of the best talents in the NBA, and that has to be better. I'll also say that if you ever think about putting your own self on a t-shirt, giving your son a fist bump saying redemption, i mean, think twice. That's a very odd move for a parent to say, let me be on this shirt with my star kid and have a shirt that says redemption after he was what? He filmed himself in a strip club
2: with a gun in his hand. Uh, That was the security camera we were looking at.
0: No, he did. He went on Instagram Live. That's how it initially started. Oh, okay. He was brandishing a pistol at a strip club that he willingly went on Instagram Live doing. And then... And now we've got redemption from 50 that. 50 grand. And T. Morant has got a t-shirt. Well, and Is that just weird to me, or is that not one of the strangest things for a parent well, to do? Well,
2: I, I think it's all odd. Like, if you see John Morant in the background as T. Morant, he's, always, he's been there, um chances are this is not the only shirt that he owns that has the two of them on it.
0: If one of my daughters reach fame in any way, Hutton, and I turn to you and say, you know what a good idea is? I'm going to have someone create a t-shirt that shows me with my back to them, giving them a hug or giving them a fist bump so my famous daughter can be on the shirt. And I'm going to put one word and it's just going to say praise or love or redemption underneath it. And I'm going to wear this shirt personally, not even selling it to the public. I'm going to wear this shirt out. Slap me in the face, call me an idiot, and be- defriend me at that point if that ever happens. Please, I this, beg
2: of you. This story is not about T. Morant moving forward. Well,
0: it is now because you're wearing a shirt that says no, Redemption.
2: But it's been about T. Morant with all this. Yeah, it's uh, that's on John ja to it's make now better decisions. It's on John Morant. Yeah. Period. Um, but he's to blame also. He's saying which. Yeah, not is anymore. Not, yeah. Not anymore. Chad. Um, I try not to buy into these conspiracy theories when it comes to Las Vegas and the odds. The rare game, very rare game, where the Golden State Warriors were a road favorite last night. They won by two points, and a basket was made by an official error. at least that's what Mark Cuban is claiming. Third quarter of the game, on the road in Dallas, coming out of a timeout, the Mavericks, and I'm, I'm, I'm going by what Cuban is saying because he tweeted this to the fan base in the moment, I believe. The Mavericks believed it was their ball under the basket at the opposite end of the floor. The officials came out and apparently told the Warriors it was their basketball under their basket. And the Mavericks were getting set down at the other end. Referee throws the ball. to the They inbounds it fast. Quick layup, two points. And Cuban went off on this. Not the first time he's lit into officiating, but it's been a while since he was this adamant about officials. And again, I tie in the fact that the Warriors were the the road favorite when they have been awful on the road this year. It goes back to the overriding theme of Vegas always knows, don't they? It's odd,
0: and that is a weird decision by an officiating crew. I mean, just I've gone back and watched it. I mean, think about that in any level of sport in the game, where you go to a TV timeout or a break, and it's one team's possession. Right. And then you come back, and that team is clearly ready to have the ball on the other end or getting set on the other end, and the other team's on the other end. That's just a quick... To whistleblow, and, and then you tell them, hey, it's their ball, you know, if we right. didn't properly communicate it. And, they, and then the other team runs on the other end of the court. And the map said they, they never told. And start to play. Never told. Never told. But just to hand the ball and say, okay, inbound <laughs> it and score, very, very unusual behavior Yeah, for an officiating crew. and You would typically, coming back from a break like that, tell the other team, hey, guys, we reversed it. It's their ball.
2: And yell at them, and they would go on the other end of the court. And then you have Luca, Luca, who's rubbing his fingers together after the basket, rubbing his fingers together, making the money sign, looking at the official for that. So this reminds and again, me, two point game, this and reminds, this is a critical game for Dallas because they're looking at playoff positioning.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of a Twitter message I got from a fan of the show that I want to read. That I, this this story brought this to mind. Okay, it says I want you guys to talk about how crazy it is that Mikel Bridges. I'm, I'm going to save this person's identity that that okay. message me. Okay. We don't really know them personally, but they said they do not want to be identified because they've been researching this. And this has happened multiple times. This was a recent bet of his. Mikael Bridges had 23 points for the Nets after three quarters. He came out in the middle of the third, right when he got his 23rd point. His point total was 24 and a half. It was the most promoted over at DraftKings that night. DraftKings is NBA's official partner. On these things. And it was the top of the app promotion for the night. And then he watched the entire game and he never came back in. Inexplicably at 23 points when the over-under was 24 and a half. Now, I don't have the box score in front of me. I don't know what the score was in the third quarter of that game. Maybe he came out because they're getting blown out or blowing the other team out. Load management. But that is very, very odd that at 23 when the over-under is 24 and a half, you would remove a star player Midway through the third quarter, and they would not re-enter the
2: game. And they're they're coming up with ways to you can adjust stats based on the official score. Um, you know, rebound here, or whatever it might be for assists, uh, based on the, the you know the time between pass or whatever. Um, and for, it's not it's not like crazy numbers, but yeah. they can adjust things officially for the official box score that affects bonuses and records, and of course overall player uh, recognition across the league.
0: Well, for anyone that wants to call call us crazy conspiracy theorists, (laughs) I I say one name, Tim Donahue. Oh, yeah. So once that happens, And and this was recently, once something like that happens in your sport, everything is up for questioning. That's right. Everything is up for
2: questioning. The one thing that will not be questioned is the NFL when it comes to the Carolina Panthers and their number one overall pick. They will not leak that information. And... For the most part, the media won't either, if they know, believe to select so-and-so, but they milk this for the TV ratings that the NFL wants for the NFL draft. Chad and I, though, we have our opinion who's going number one to Carolina. Give you our top 10 mock when we return on out Kick 360. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton Withrow, Outkick 360. We'll give our picks for tonight's Sweet 16 matchups and look ahead to a bit of the Friday slate as well. Looking forward to tip off later. And we'll be recapping that tomorrow starting at 3 o'clock Eastern here on the Outkick Network. Chad, we're a little over a month away now from the NFL draft in Kansas City. I I mean, the buzz around the quarterbacks has dominated all of the discussion I think there's great defensive talent in the top 15 that will drop because of the quarterbacks and potentially the run on the top receiver or uh, offensive line offensive tackle there's a couple of them there and I'm factoring that into my top 10 mock but you and I have not seen each other's mock until right now with the predictions of what we think will happen it's a
0: blind draft.
2: Yes. And I, I, and
0: we're also going with no trades. Like We're not factoring right. in, trying to predict and trades and all that. And there yeah. will be. We but acknowledge there will be trades, but we're not doing that for this exercise.
2: I, I'm curious where we will stand on the top 10 mock that we have right now, the week of the draft, compared to about, what, five and a half weeks until then. Um, and we'll go in reverse order, starting with the, the 10th overall selection held by the Philadelphia Eagles. And... Chad, I have them taking Christian Gonzalez, the corner from Oregon. I don't think he's the 10th overall player. I think he's much better than that, quite frankly. But I do think the run on offensive talent is going to push the top corner down. And we've seen some movement at the the corner position in the secondary for Philadelphia. They've done a good job of bringing their vets back that many thought were going to, some did, hit the open market, but then they renegotiated a contract. But Gonzalez is the top corner, and a great defense gets even better for the here and now and the future by drafting Gonzalez out of Oregon.
0: We had not seen these before, as you had mentioned. So good to know, though, that we're on the same wavelength positionally with number 10 pick. I went with Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. Another corner to the Eagles. Got the pro lineage with his dad, Joey Porter. Big guy at the corner position. Um, The Eagles are – solid everywhere, especially on defense. But I'm with you, Hutton. I think this is a position where they could always use help, and it's one that makes a really good defense even better. I just went with a different corner with Joey Porter Jr.
2: staying in the state of Pennsylvania and playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. With the ninth selection, the Chicago Bears, my my next pick is a potential Eagle. They picked 10th. Chicago gets Lucas Van Ness, though, uh, the talented edge rusher from Iowa. This is where they have traded away talent in the pass rush department. They're about to revamp, and they've got plenty of, of draft selections. They've certainly done some nice things through free agency. I'm taking Van Ness because they're going to attack the edge and improve their overall pass rush to get after the quarterback. There's talk that Philadelphia really likes him. He's not going to be there at 10 because Chicago's taking him at 9 when they trade back from Carolina. They'll they'll take defense, and I have them taking pass rush. Defense, pass rush,
0: I'm thinking the exact same thing for what the Bears need, what they covet in this draft, but I am going with a different player. Okay. Tyree Wilson, the edge out of Texas Tech, falls under the physical freak category. He has been a fast riser on the draft board, Not many people during the college football season probably even knew who he was. Uh, Terrific talent, enormous upside for Tyree Wilson. I've got the Bears taking him with the ninth overall
2: pick. Yeah, and the Bears are in a great spot, right? They could trade back out of this too and pick up more selections. They're going to get a great defensive player because Chad and I are about to have the run on quarterback, but not yet. It's way too late in the top 10 to talk quarterback. I
0: feel like the Bears right now, Hutton, are where the Lions were a year ago where they kept stacking things up and you start to finally think, man, the Lions are making some good moves and they've got multiple picks and that they, they, I like the picks they're making. The Bears are starting to build that way also after years of questionable
2: choices. You know what's bad? It wasn't just the edge rush for Chicago. Even worse was what was taking place in Atlanta. And they have Desmond Ritter. They draft him last year. They will continue to add some talent on offense throughout the draft, but not in the top 10 because I'm going with the athletic freak of Nolan Smith who dominated the NFL combine and the Falcons have to get faster, more athletic, younger, and more dynamic defensively. They have to be able to help out what is a young quarterback if they're moving forward with Ritter. And Chad, they've got to be able to get off the field defensively. Stop chasing teams on the scoreboard. Arthur Smith has a chance to turn the corner as the head coach there in Atlanta, but it's going to have to start on defense. New defensive coordinator, and now they get a speed demon and a guy that, again, played on a great defense in the SEC at Georgia. That produces in the NFL. We've seen it.
0: Do not hate that pick at all. I'm a big Nolan Smith fan, and you're right. Georgia had a terrific defense two years ago, an all-time great defense. Illinois had a really good defense this year, too. Yeah, they did. They hang their hat on defense with Brett Bielema and the Illini. I like Devin Witherspoon, linebacker also, so we've matched up positionally so far through this draft. Devin Witherspoon, number eight to the Falcons. I love what he brings to the table. And you're right, they just – they. There's a number of spots you can point to for the Falcons and say, "Well, this could be the pick." You know that they could go in this direction, but this is a team that needs defense. They got to get younger, faster, and just bottom line better yes. defensively. Devin Witherspoon's one of those players who's just going to make anyone better. I'd say Nolan Smith, same you know, same type of player. He's going to make you better also. Uh, but I went with Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois, eighth overall.
2: Chad, uh, you mentioned earlier we're not doing trades in this, so we, well, here we go. We have. I have a quarterback going seventh overall. Um, I have the Las Vegas Raiders selecting Will Levis, joining Josh McDaniels, and joining Jimmy Garoppolo in Las Vegas. I still think the Raiders are in play. Seattle could be too. They could also be in play for a quarterback. But the Raiders with Garoppolo, you're signing him to a, a nice salary now. He's going to make, what, 25, $27 million this year. But they have to plan for the future. They really need to plan for next season too because Garoppolo doesn't start every game. And with McDaniels, it's time to win games. You have the opportunity to get one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. We have harped on this for longer than the draft period of the offseason. We've been saying this for months. Will Levis is not number one overall talent that Mel Kuyper makes him out to be. But he is a very talented quarterback, and he's worthy of a top 10 selection here. Given the fact that I'm going to have three other quarterbacks off my board, the Raiders take Will Levis, and a no-trade top 10 mock, he's going to Las Vegas.
0: My pick at number seven, if I were the Raiders, and I were their GM, and I were their coach, my pick would be Hendon Hooker Okay, with this spot, looking for quarterback. But I'm not the Raiders. I'm not Josh McDaniels. And I know where this thing is going. And it's Will Levis. This is one where we match up. Will Levis will be the pick at number seven of the Raiders, partly because the Raiders can't get out of their own way many times. Will Levis has good upside. I don't want to make this about something bashing him. He's shown the ability to do some really good things at Kentucky. I don't think he's shown the consistency. I don't think he's shown the the decision-making I think the arm strength is a little bit overrated also with Will Levis, but I do think that he will be drafted by the Raiders seventh overall, and that will be the new Raiders signal caller.
2: I think some will be surprised that we're saying Will Levis to the Raiders here and the Colts are passing up on him, but that's still to come. But first, Detroit. The Detroit Lions, they want guys who are, what, ankle biters, knee biters, whatever it is. Bite some kneecaps? Yeah, kneecaps. Um, tear some patellar tendons. They're getting a gift based on how the last two and a half months have gone for for Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Not only in regards to what happened the early morning hours of the crash that killed uh, a teammate and a, a staff member at Georgia, but also at the pro day, he's out of shape. He can't finish drills. Weeks after, he was showing up to the Combine. Um, Detroit won't pass up on him, though. And here's why. He's going to be playing next to uh, Aiden Hutchinson. You have Jalen Carter and Aiden Hutchinson dominating the NFC North. That is a great fit in what is turning into a nice culture that's being built by Lions players there and the free agents that are joining that roster that are saying, we're a very talented team. The Lions were last year Here's why I'm joining. Carter fits in there, and he fits in with the mentality of dominant on the defensive front for that Lions organization. This falls under the category of pick that makes
0: sense for what the Lions have built, what they are building. Jalen Carter's a top three pick, if not for the issues. And I'm not making light of the issues. There are issues. A big one is the out-of-shape thing. That, that concerns me that he may not go this high in the draft. But top three pick that falls to you at six a position everyone can use. I love Jalen Carter for the Lions and what they're building at sixth overall. I went with him there as well.
2: Chad, I think Seattle... We did, could, not, we did not check with each other no, before we, the we, season. We, but we, have,
0: we have lined up on the last yeah, two. Last
2: two. I, I think Seattle could be in play for a quarterback at five. Could be. But I also believe that they can draft a quarterback <laughs> later, potentially, you mentioned Hendon Hooker, uh, of that realm, and then pair them with what we've seen from Geno Smith, who signed an extension and is getting nice, really nice money this season. I have them taking Tyree Wilson, who some have as the best edge rusher in the draft, even ahead of Will Anderson. Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. He's headed to Seattle, and they're about to rebrand and rebuild their defensive front through this draft, and they get a great player at number five overall. Given the Seahawks' history, I think Tyree Wilson –
0: Maybe makes a little more sense than the guy I'm going to go with. Okay. But I really like this player. Miles Murphy from Clemson. I'm also going with an edge. I think he's the pick at number five for Seattle. Same reason you're talking about in terms of need. I, I just like Murphy a little bit better. So I'm giving him the nudge up to number five with Seattle picking him.
2: Here's where the quarterbacks start to go. And we've already have Will Levis off our board. We have Will Levis in Las Vegas. And straight ahead, for me, C.J. Stroud to the Indianapolis Colts. A surprise for many, I know. I have not fallen to number four. But C.J. Stroud is going to be a gift to Indianapolis based on what has happened in my mock on the first three picks. And again, no one's trading. And if C.J. Stroud is available, Indianapolis is nervous because Arizona's ahead of them, and Arizona needs to trade out of that pick because they're going to get a hefty deal to move back. Maybe it's with Indy at that point. C.J. Stroud is a great fit for that Indianapolis offense now. And if you think about where the head coach came from, Philly, and how they're pairing that offense now with what they want to be as a run-based team, that's a great opportunity for a rookie to come in and start. Take some lumps, sure. But build around him, much like what we're seeing right now with the young quarterback's a year or two ahead of where Indianapolis is right now in search of a franchise quarterback. I, I think Stroud, you can argue, is the best quarterback in the draft, and I have him at number four to Indy. Same line of thinking as you, Hutton, different player.
0: Shane Striking, coming from Philly, had a lot of success with Jalen Hurts, who runs the ball well, runs the ball a lot. Anthony Richardson is a quarterback he could pair well with with Indy. I don't have them drafting C.J. Stroud for reasons you'll see, three picks from now. I don't think he's going to be available. I think the Colts and striking will value Anthony Richardson and what he brings to the table with his athleticism in large part because of what he was able to accomplish with Jalen Hurts in Philly. Anthony Richardson, fourth overall to the Colts.
2: At number three, Arizona. I think I can say we're both taking Will Anderson to the Arizona Cardinals. I... He's number one. He's top tier talent for me. And I, I, I think he's the best player top to bottom in the draft, quite frankly. And he's going to go to Arizona and, you know, new coach, new general manager, a chance to change the, the locker room a bit here. Anderson's the perfect guy to do it. As long as he's not facing a Tennessee offensive tackle, the dude produces. And they need help in that area. Again, they're a lot like Atlanta. They chase. Offensively, they can't do that. They need sacks. They need to pressure the quarterback and get off the field on third down. Anderson's a perfect pick.
0: Hutton described that beautifully. We'll move right along and say, I've got the same player. Will Anderson, Cardinals, no brainer for them.
2: Bryce Young to Houston. Can we both say that too? Because I think, uh, I don't think Young's going number one. And Houston seems locked in on Bryce Young as their guy, their next big, talented friend talented franchise quarterback that is, they believe, going to be the next Deshaun Watson pre-holdout and contract demand. The
0: size concerns with Bryce Young are bigger than I imagined coming yeah. into this. For that reason, I think he's the second overall pick by Houston and not number one. But Hutton, we have different number one overall picks.
2: Yeah, and I, I look, Carolina's looking for a superstar in the stratosphere. David Tepper wants a franchise quarterback so much that he's hired Frank Reich, They have signed Andy Dalton as well, who the Chicago Bears signed and said he's our number one guy after drafting Justin Fields. Because of that, I have them taking, and surprising many, the quarterback with the highest ceiling, Anthony Richardson, number one overall to the Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton comparisons, there he is in Carolina, Anthony Richardson number one.
0: I'm going C.J. Stroud. I think he's going to be the pick for Carolina. Of course, they had everyone there at his pro day. Yes, they did. Um, I just watch C.J. Stroud and think, boy, this is safe. He is a safe player. Size, ability, accuracy, decision-making. Love C.J. Stroud. I think he's the number one overall pick to Carolina. And David Tepper will finally have his franchise quarterback.
2: I like that. And Reich, I mean, there was a still – someone tweeted a photo of the pro day. And uh, Reich is just mesmerized talking to C.J. Stroud. I think it would capture it. He's fallen in love. He's a boy with a crush. Smitten. Uh, We turned these in last week, by the way. And I can't wait to see how things change the week of the NFL draft. We turn the page. We look ahead to tonight's games. We're going to give you our picks as we bet the board for the Sweet 16. This is Outkick 360. Been a fun show. Outkick 360 wrapping up with uh, some picks. Sweet 16 tipping off in, what, just over a half hour as we'll see Michigan State as they they take on Kansas State. That's where we're going to start. DraftKings and outkick.com slash bet is where you can join us as Chad and I bet the board. Made some money last week, barely, after a tough Sunday afternoon as teams made their way to the Sweet 16. But it's an underdog night if you're following us on what we're doing. We're playing the money line for Kansas State in game number one. I'm going with Tank. I've got Kansas State in my Final Four. I love the way they play and the fact that they push the. They can push the pace. They can also play a slowed-down style. They can match up with Michigan State. And I just get a vibe that Michigan State is not on the same trajectory as Arkansas. Arkansas has two... Lottery picks for the, for the NBA draft. You know, they catch fire. Michigan State is a seven seed, and they're rightfully a seven seed. I'm taking K-State. Money line. K-State, I like.
0: We're going Arkansas. money line. Eric Musselman uh, yes, seemingly cannot lose until he gets the Elite Eight of the tournament. So I think they upset UConn tonight and get it done. Tennessee's the biggest point favorite of the night at minus five and a half. Um, I've said from the start of the week, I don't love the matchup for the Vols. I'm not ready to take FAU on the money line, though. Take FAU, the points, plus five and a half. We're going with the Owls in that game to be very close, maybe winning. But Hutton, in the uh, in the nightcap, we're also going
2: with another money line upset. A rematch, right? We've had 17 years to the day where Adam Morrison was sad, and very sad. shocked. We are all shocked. I mean, UConn had the 11-point comeback out of very nowhere sad. and beat the Zags. In the rematch, we're taking Gonzaga in the money line. It's a point and a half there, too. That's going to be a great game with UCLA. And, and quite frankly, UConn as well. Uh, Arkansas, go- they're going to test UConn. UConn can beat you multiple ways. But I'm with you on the momentum for what the Razorbacks have right now. I'm sticking with that.
0: Here's what's fun. Everyone left is really, really good. You can say this starting in the second round a lot of times. There are no bad matchups, but tonight is evident. Biggest point spread is Tennessee favored by 5.5 points, and that's it. Tomorrow night is, for Sweet 16 purposes, blowout night because you have 7.5-point line, 7.5-point line, 10-point line. Creighton favored by Princeton. Bama favored by San Diego State, yeah. Houston favored by Miami. Those are huge lines for the Sweet 16. No and, doubt. And they're putting them all on Friday night. Best matchup tomorrow night, to me, by far,
2: Xavier, Texas. Yeah, and that's the, that's the smallest, smallest gap line on the spread too. at Vegas four agrees. and a half. At four and a half. So is nine and a half uh, enough for you to take Princeton and the points? Yes. That's still a very good game then. I, I ride
0: it out. I ride it out with Princeton playing close in that one.
2: Chad's going to be fun. We are uh, headed with Clay immediately to NYC, New York City. We'll be in in attendance for the Sweet 16 there at Madison Square Garden for uh, Tennessee and FAU and Michigan State and Kansas State. We'll
0: be coming to you live on Outkick 360 tomorrow from New York City. So we'll have a special location, special show for you tomorrow
2: in the city. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing Madison Square Garden for the first time. Been there many times. Uh, to the city, but never inside the garden, and uh, we get the opportunity to do that. And what do you? What are the chances that Clay is heckled? Um, I say I, less I, than ten percent. I'd say less than ten percent. I'd
0: say thirty <laughs> percent, only because there could be another fan. Well, you know, somewhere is, is Clay wearing orange or not? If he's wearing better, orange, I think there's a more question. likely
2: chance he gets heckled. Chances I'm mistaken for Clay.
0: A (laughs) hundred percent,
2: a hundred percent. With Clay there, with Clay there, it will happen. Uh, I've once signed Clay's name before Yep, and yours. Love you, Clay. it for you as well. Love what you say,
0: man. Keep it up.
2: Hutton's going to hear that over and over again tonight. I just wave. You're welcome. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward
0: to seeing the garden for the first time. Now I got to go back for like a Knicks game or a Rangers game to see the difference between the neutral event and the NCAA tournament versus home crowd New York City event.
2: Uh, Clay's response when he says love you man thanks for everything is what you're about to hear with Tom Cruise uh, in our, our outro with how he's thinking his supporters our for show everything mantra. he's done him. Hey, uh, we're so grateful big thanks to the crew for making the show happen today join us tomorrow 3 o'clock Eastern we're live across the Outkick Network Outkick 360 hope you'll join us for a Sweet 16 recap and preview